0: from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations, in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you guys are ready to dig into God's word? We get excited about that here at New Heights Church. We love God's word, right? No, that's weak, man. You guys did not drink your coffee. Get out there. We, we provide free coffee, free caffeine, so you guys get excited about God's Word. So I'm gonna say it one more time. How many of you are excited to get into God's Word? There we go. That's better. Hey, we just came off a great weekend. We had a focus on the family marriage retreat. I even met a couple that's here for the very first time. I won't embarrass them, but we are so excited that they are with us this morning. Welcome to New Heights Church. We, we, at, uh, my name's Pastor Justin, if you're new, I'm the lead pastor here, I get to pastor this wonderful church, and we love God's Word so much that we preach it verse by verse, right, line by line, precept upon precept, book by book, we love God's Word, and we're in the middle of the book of Acts right now, we're in chapter 13, uh, we looked at the first, uh, first 13, well, 12 verses last week, and we're gonna pick up in verse 13 this week, but, uh. So so excited. Last week, we started to learn about the, really, this was the first time in the history of the church that they were strategically sending out missionaries. And so God, God had did some spreading, right? missionaries were going around. Uh, They just didn't realize they were missionaries yet. Persecution was taking place. They were going all over the world. They were bringing the gospel with them. But this is the first time that the church strategically said, we're going to set apart these two and we're going to send them out on a mission. And so it was, it was a really incredible text. One of my favorite texts, because this little old church in Antioch completely radically changes the world. I mean, totally changes the world. And, and we see that this church followed the leading of the Holy Spirit, and because they followed the Holy Spirit, there was what? Opposition. How many of you know when you guys decide that you're going to follow Jesus, all hell's going to break loose and come after you, right? How many of you guys have led a ministry before in the church, and you're so excited about doing it? You're like, I want to lead this small group, or I want to do this, and you're tackling a difficult topic, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Why? Because we have a real enemy. We serve a more powerful God, All right. Right? And so when we commit ourselves to God's mission, we can guarantee there is going to be opposition, always. But I love it because even though all throughout the book of Acts, you see the devil trying everything he can to stop God's word from going forward. He, he, he'll, he'll get people all upset, riled up. They'll come against leadership in the church. Uh, and and I, I want you to see something in the book of Acts. This is what's so scary is most of the time it's not the world coming after the church. It's the religious the religious. So, so you see opposition, and even though you see all this opposition, you see the power of the Holy Spirit. When people say yes, the gospel goes forward, lives are changed, lives are transformed, and that's what the church is about, right? Somebody get excited? Okay, you're with me this morning. Good. Okay, just checking. So today, we jump in verse 13. Literally, today is a sermon on a sermon. We're about to read a sermon. We get to unpack a sermon today. We're going to study that sermon together. We're going to take notes on that sermon together. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And we just take this moment right now. This is what our entire service is about. We gear it around your word. And we want you to speak to us. Not about me. Take me out of the equation. This is about you. And so we're gonna be committed and faithful to teaching your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Bring conviction where conviction needs to be brought. Bring life transformation. Bring understanding and application. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, join with me real quick. We're gonna look at verse 13. Guys, give it up for Kavia. Man, she read a huge passage today, right? And she's got all these crazy words in there cities and towns that I can't pronounce. And she just, she did awesome. So verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the Prophets. The rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So, Paul, don't you love Paul? Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. So, right here at the end of verse 16, Paul stands up in the synagogue. He motions with his hand, he asks people to listen up for a minute. It's at this point that Paul launches into his sermon. A couple things about this sermon you need to know. It's the first recorded sermon of Paul in the Bible. Now, there are going to be others in the book of, of Acts, okay? But this is the very first one. doesn't mean it's the first time Paul preached. You know, we know Paul preached a lot, but uh, this is the first one recorded by Luke. Luke, Luke, Luke. <laughs> it's the longest recorded sermon that's given to us in the book of Acts or for that matter, really the New Testament uh, when it comes to Paul's preaching. You know what? History tells us that Paul was actually pretty long-winded. You guys don't know anything about that, right? In fact, somewhere else in the Bible, we read about somebody actually falling asleep during one of Paul's sermons, and I don't know anything about that. (laughs) When you read the book of Acts, one, listen to me, one out of every five verses in the book of Acts is a sermon or at least a powerful witness, a verbal witness being given by the Apostle Paul. So the book of Acts is a book of preaching, it is. And I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, so many times, and I've heard this all my life, it's not, it's not something new as I became an adult, uh, my generation saying it now, but the generation before us said it. I've always heard this, man I wish our church could just be a church like the church in the book of Acts. First century church. You guys ever hear that? We all want that. I love when I hear that. I mean, when I hear that, I say, yes, yes, that's what I want too. I want this place to be a Holy Ghost hospital. I do. I want this altar to be a place where lives are transformed and changed and they experience healing. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're given purpose and they go out and make a difference for the kingdom. That's what I want. I want marriages restored. I want sick people healed. I want people to find freedom. And that's, that's the kind of church we read about in the book of Acts, right? But if we're going to really want that, if you say, yep, that's what I want, here's what you got to realize. You better be committed to preaching the Word of God. You better be committed to biblical preaching, really. When you read the pastoral epistles, those are the the epistles written by Paul, and he's giving pastoral advice. In other words, he's instructing pastors how to run and how to function a church. And you take a pen and you underline preaching, teaching, and the ministry of the Word of God, and you're going to see how central the preaching and the teaching of God's Word is to the local church. And if the New Testament support isn't enough for you, you can just walk through the Old Testament and you're gonna see right away the primary role of the prophet, the primary role of even the psalmist and the ministry of the word of God. You see it from Genesis to Revelation. Preaching God's word is vital to the church. If If we seriously look into the Bible, it's so clear and it's so obvious. You can't read the Bible and not clearly see the gravity and the urgency of the ministry of preaching God's word. It's the lifeline in the church. In fact, if you look at church history, by the way, I love, I love history. Your pastor, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd be a history teacher, writing papers on General George Armstrong Custer, Battle a little bighorn, come on, you guys don't get excited about that? (laughs) I love History. But if you look at the church history, every single mountaintop experience, without any exception, follow biblical preaching. The low times, the wilderness times in church history, they happen when the enemy finds some way to stop biblical preaching. At every point in church history, all the great revivals were actually preceded by biblical preaching. <laughs> Whether that can be through the evangelist or through the, the pastor or through the teacher, that's how revivals happened. This is something that's set forth in the Bible. This is something that's set forth in church history. This is why preaching is so vitally important. Yet we live in a day in which this phrase, stop preaching at me. Preacher's just preaching at me. He's just preaching at me. It's almost become like a slogan, right? You guys want to know why we gear our entire Sunday morning service around preaching of God's word? Because here's the truth. I've always been transparent with you, preachers. Today, we don't have Wednesday night services anymore. I don't have Sunday night services anymore. And guess what? The experts are telling me I need to shorten up my sermons on Sunday. I need to make it more appealing to those that would come. I need to make it more appealing to first-time guests. I need to make it more appealing to those that don't know Jesus. Shorten up your sermons. So the church has dramatically taken a turn. We used to have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now we got Sunday morning, and we're being told, keep it to 20 minutes. Well, listen, church, I, I'm not a prophet. I am no prophet. But I, is it any wonder that our churches in America are in decline? See, this is why I struggle. I keep hearing this at all these church growth conferences. You know, you got to entertain, make your sermons really... Uh, entertaining and have these crazy ideas to draw on these crowds. Keep it to 20 minutes. Because people don't have attention spans. And all I see in numbers is our churches are in major decline in America. Did you know the Puritans used to say this? They used to have this saying, if you had one hour to give, if you had, if you sat at home by yourself and read your Bible, or if you came to church and sat under a one hour exposition of the scripture, did you hear that one hour? Which of, the, which of those two would most benefit your soul? And did you know the Puritans would have said 10 times out of 10 to sit under the preaching of the word of God would be the greatest activity for their spiritual growth? Now, before you throw rocks at me, it's not an, it's not an either or, it's a both and. So what I'm trying to say is we can't allow the preaching of God's word to be diminished in the church. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Listen. We are praying for a reformation. We will never have one without a wave. A new generation of preachers preaching God's word. We will never see a reformation take place unless we see a new wave of preachers committed to preaching God's word. So I believe the greatest need in the church today, I know a lot of you are, man, Pastor Justin, this is probably his favorite text. He's on his soapbox here. (laughs) I'm just preaching God's word. I believe the greatest need in the church today is for biblical preaching. It's for expository preaching. I really do believe that. I believe it's the greatest need in the church. And the church, it, the church is the most important thing for the world. So what the world needs is Jesus, amen? And what the world needs to do is come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the way that's going to happen is by the word of God being preached and proclaimed in the pulpits throughout America fact in second timothy 4 2 paul's writing what would be considered his last word some call it his final gesture before he would die and he says this to timothy preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching and why why does he say that he goes on for the time is coming When people, let me just tell you, again, I'm no prophet, but I think the time has come. I'm no prophet, but I think the time has come. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I believe the top priority if you're, if you're considering, you're new here, you're considering New Heights Church as a church you want to be a part of, we are absolutely unapologetically committed to God's word. And because of that, that means we do the hard right over the easy wrong over and over and over and over again. And that means we take hits over and over and over again. When you preach God's word, you face opposition. And then not only that, You're wanting to commit to this church. I hope I'm not, well, it's scaring people. It scares people. But not only that, we're a leadership factory. We commission every believer. You have a purpose, and it goes way beyond just sitting in a chair on Sunday morning. You have been called and commissioned, and it's the church's job to send you out to fulfill that higher calling, that higher purpose. And when you do that, I promise you, opposition will come. But we're hoping that this church is a place that puts the tools in your hand. You can go out and you can face the hardships. You can go out and you can face the the persecution and you can stand strong because you are rooted in God's word. That's what we want here. That's it. So when I think about the church, I think the church rises or falls on its preaching. You know, as goes the preaching, so goes the church. So I believe that's the priority of the church, the priority of the pastor and the biblical preaching that I'm talking about is preaching that proclaims and communicates what the text actually means. What it actually means and what it actually says. Or you might say what it says and what it means, right? All right. Good point, right? Good introduction. (laughs) Let's go back to verse 17. I'll I'll start in verse 17. I'll try not to get too teachy here because there is a whole lot in this sermon. I know some of you don't think I can do it, but I can make it through in time, I promise. I promise. Whole lot in verse 17 through 41. So what I want to do is outline it for you as we go through it. And I'm telling you, this is one amazing sermon. Beginning in verse 17 through 25, Paul starts with looking back, looking back to see what God has always, that God has always had a plan for salvation. God is not taken back, He's not, he's He's never taken by surprise. He's always had a plan from beginning to end. He's gonna go into the fact that Jesus, Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. He starts with the Old Testament. Well, let me go back to that. Jesus Christ, Paul's gonna preach this. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That offends a lot of people. He's the only way to heaven. You can't get to heaven because you're good enough. You can't get to heaven because of anything you've done. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That's it. Nothing else is gonna get you to heaven. So Paul is not afraid to preach that in his sermon, Jesus. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the promised Savior. And he starts with the Old Testament, and he does this because his audience, they knew the Old Testament. They were very familiar with the Old Testament. So it shows how it was, he wants them to see it was God who sent the Messiah, and that Messiah, again, is Jesus. And I love this. Do you know why I love this? Because it wasn't Paul presenting Jesus. Paul was using the scriptures to present Jesus, and he was showing them that God was the one who, was, who sent the Messiah, this Christ, this Jesus, and he's the savior of the world. Look, when I get up, it's not me trying to convince you that Jesus is who he said he was. I get up and I preach God's word. It's God's word that's gonna convict you and let you know that Jesus is who he said he was. Not me. This is why I don't preach my own opinions, because they're, they're not that good, <laughs> I'm committed to preaching God's word because you need to hear from God. And how do, how do you hear from God? You open up the word of God. Come on, amen, right? Okay, all right, so number one, let's look at verse 17. We're, he's gonna take us, we're gonna look back, starting in verse 17. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arms, he's talking about the strength of God here, he led them out of it. So there's this promise right here, okay? It's the first thing I see is this idea of a promise that God gave his people and that he intended to keep. Now, if you remember, you guys remember the, and, and perhaps some of you are going to remember the movie that came out. I think I was in high school. The Prince of Egypt. Yeah. Okay. A few of you. I loved it. Still love it. Really good movie for a cartoon. I think it's dreams work that does it, but it's, it's really good. If you remember that story, okay, that's what Paul's talking about here. He takes them all the way back in Exodus when God's people were held captive by the Egyptians and they were enslaved. They were working and God sends Moses. He used him as his hand and his mouthpiece and he led the people out of Israel. Moses wasn't leading the people out of Israel. He was being used by God to lead the people out of Israel. And God makes this promise. He says, I'm not going to leave you here in bondage in Egypt. I'm going to lead you into this land that I have promised for you and I'm going to be with you. Now remember, remember how that happened. The cloud in the form of uh, a pillar uh, leading them uh, by day and fire by night. He literally led them all the way from their journey into the promised land. And if you're taking notes, write this down. He made them a promise and he kept it in spite of them. And I look at that and I, I, I reflect on my own life. What God has promised me, and I'm very similar to the Israelites. It's so easy for us to read the Old Testament. I did this as a kid all the time. My boys do this. We'll read. We'll read through the Old Testament, those silly Israelites. <laughs> we're, so, we're so similar to them. We really are. So I can look at this and I look at my own life, and I see, I see how God has kept His promise to me, that He, he promised that He's going to lead me. He's promised that He will never leave me, nor forsake me. Aren't you glad that there is nowhere, listen, there is nowhere that you can go where you are outside the reach of God. At the highest of heights, he's there. At the lowest of lows, he's there. He's promised to always be with you. And that same promise that he showed to the people of Israel, he shows to you, he shows to me today. That's amazing. And then in verse 18 through 19, You see this idea of provision. He says, and for about 40 years, he put up. I like this. He put up. We'll get to it in a little bit. He put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. So do you see the idea of provision here? I do. God made a promise. I'm going to take you out of Egypt. I'm going to lead you into this land of hope and a future where you're going to be blessed. But even in the midst of that, I'm going to provide for you. And I want you to circle. If you're okay, if you're not okay circling in your Bible, you need to get one of our prayer journals. I want you to circle, highlight, underline, he put up with. He put up with. Now, your translation might say he cared for them. I like ESV the best. He put up with. (laughs) Even in their disobedience, even in their failure, even in their complaining, he provided for them. He gave them everything that they needed, and he did it miraculously. By the way, that's, that's the God we serve. Our God is a miracle-working God. When we think it is impossible, God shows up and he does something amazing. There is nothing too hard for our God. There is nothing impossible for our God. I don't care what situation you find yourself, or you, yourself in today, God is more powerful. Don't lose hope. Don't forget that. God is a powerful, miracle-working God. I mean, water would come out of rocks, for crying out loud. Seas would be split wide open so they could walk on dry land. And, and it would rain manna. It would rain manna. Now, I may have been one of the complaining Israelites. Remember uh, It's Raining Spaghetti Meatballs or that movie? I'd pray for Skyline. Can you just give a, a, a storm where it just skyline's coming down, you know? But I mean, man, it would rain manna at night and then in the morning they would have this buffet or quail would fly in so that they can catch it and they would have meat. Everything they needed was provided for. And we can see this faithfulness of God and the promise and how he provides. And I look at this in my own life and I can trust the fact, looking back and seeing how God has provided for me in the past, he will provide for me in the present and he will provide for me in the future. And I'm going to be honest with you. I probably, like most of you here today, sometimes have found myself in a situation where I have more bills than I do money. Some of you are like, why, Pastor Justin? I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> Life's hard, I guess, right? Life happens. Okay, cars break down. Trips to the ER are expensive. Kids got to go to college. I'm not there yet, but I will be. Kids need braces. Water furnaces break. Life happens. we Sometimes we find ourselves with more bills than we have money, right? But here's the promise. He's going to always provide for me. He tells, you, tells me in Matthew 6 that I shouldn't worry about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, because if he can take care of this flower or this bird, he can surely take care of me. And you can go ahead and put your name in that passage. He's going to take care of you. He reminds me of this truth in Philippians 4.19. Paul, he loves He loves preaching this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know, this is not just money. When you find yourself in a situation where you feel hopeless, you feel attacked on every side, I want you to understand God is gonna provide everything that you need. Everything. He is a faithful God. He's promised things to me and he will provide for me. He always will. And aren't you thankful for that? Have you seen that in your life? As you look back, can you see how he's met those needs in your life? He gives us hope. Why? So we can continue to go forward. And then in verse 20, come to verse 20, we see patience. It says, all this took, took about 450 years. Oops. <laughs> and after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet... Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he had promised. And before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. So from this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought Israel a savior, and his name was Jesus. So before, before Jesus became a popular fella, John had previously, previously, he was already proclaiming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And now John was completing his mission, and this is what he said. Look at verse 25. And as John was finishing his course... He said, what do you you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So Paul is doing something really important here. It's worth noting. Paul begins to transition this idea from looking back to looking up. But before he does, he gives them this brief history lesson of their own life. And he does this to show, He's, he's wanting to express something. Yeah, God's promised things to you, yeah, God, God has provided for you, but don't forget the fact that God has been patient with you. And we look at all these, these people that, that have been mentioned here. Yeah, yeah, we got a, yeah, we've got a prophet, but we don't like him. Give us a king. And then all the way through the Old Testament, we see prophets, we see priests, we see kings, and we, we see, see the story of neglect and failure and rebellion and disobedience and dishonor to who God is over and over and over again. And all the while, He's patient. He's patient why because he has a plan. His plan of redemption, it began all the way in the garden of Eden. That's going to be fulfilled in the person of Christ and continue into this day. God was saying, "I love man so much that I want to have a relate I want him to have relationship him her. I want relationship with humanity. I have this plan of redemption." And this should be so encouraging for us today. We see his patience displayed in Samuel We see his patience displayed in David and in Saul and in all of the prophets. And of of this truth that still rings true for you and me today. Are you ready for this? God uses imperfect people to accomplish his plan for redemption. Aren't you glad? Because if we had to be perfect, we would get cut. God uses us in our imperfection. He uses us to bring redemption to the world. He did it in the Old Testament. He did it in the New Testament. And he does it in my life, and he can do it in your life. His plan for redemption was sending his son, Jesus, on operation, save the world. And guess what? Jesus was successful. He completed the mission. And now man can be made right with God once again. So he uses you and me today. You and I, we get to be a part of this. That's pretty cool. And again, like last week, we talked about our church sends out missionaries. Why? Because the mission of God's redemption is still going on to this day. Do you want to know what God's plan A is to reach the world? Us, the church. This is not just some organization where we come and we make friends and we have our little spiritual community and we have potlucks and we have all these different activities. We are God's plan A to reach the world. We exist so the gospel goes forward. That's why we are here. We are supposed to be making a difference in not just our city, but around the world. And I love it. God uses imperfect people to accomplish his plan for redemption. So Paul talks, he talks a whole lot about their history. Why? He wants to encourage them. God worked in the past. God's going to work in the present. God's going to work in the future. Let me tell you something. God has been good to this church. He's been really good. Man, we are blessed. We are blessed. God's been good in our past. God was good to Pastor Hugh. God anointed Pastor Hugh. Amazing things were accomplished. God was good to Pastor Brad. Amazing things were accomplished. I've, in fact, I think during Pastor Brad's tenure, we gave more to missions than we ever did in the history of the church. That's, that's God's blessing. So he's been good in the past. And I want you to know something. It has nothing to do with me, but God's going to be good in the present. He's going to be good in the present. And you know what? God's going to be good in the future. Whoever comes on after me, God's going to be good because that's who God is. Come on. And just so you know, Stephen does the same thing in, in the book of Acts in chapter seven. When he preached, he went through a whole litany of their history, more details than even Paul does here. Um, but that's what they did. So he's looking up and look with me at verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God To us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Now, this is what Jesus did, he's saying. Here's what Jesus did, and this is how he was received. And this is how he was treated. And he, he takes it a step further. He said, This is how Jesus was treated by people who read the scriptures regularly, who knew the scriptures. He was maltreated and killed, in other words, by Bible college students. He's trying to get their attention. I, I think he's successful at it. <laughs> Paul, Paul was not afraid. He's saying, You meet here every week in the synagogue and you read the scriptures. So did the people in Jerusalem, but they killed the very one the prophet spoke about. So you can have a full head and an empty heart. That's scary, guys. You can have a full head and an empty heart. Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. So he's saying they ignored that testimony. And look at verse 28. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God, I love but God statements. I love but God statements. My life is a but God statement. The devil wanted to stop me. The devil wanted to hurt me, but God. Do you have some but God statements in your life? (laughs) But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, I'm gonna stop, because I'm getting ahead of myself. I've gotten really ahead of myself, (laughs) I just get excited. I just, you know what? Let's finish it. This is, this is a good passage. I'll just take it from a, yeah, come on, right? <laughs> Verse 32, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the Father, I already read this to you, yep. Verse 34, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Now listen to me, church. In, in the New Testament preaching, in, in the sermons that we see in, in the book of Acts and really throughout the New Testament, it's, very, it's a, it really a common thread in all of the preaching. It's done by Peter. It's done by Paul. It's done by all of them. They preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because listen, the resurrection is the capstone in the arch of Christianity. If you remove the resurrection, the whole thing collapses. I mean, you think about it. No resurrection means dead savior, and that doesn't help anybody out. If we have no resurrection, then we have no victory over sin, we have no victory over death, and that means we have no promise for eternal life. And that's not good. Atoning death, resurrection, that's the gospel. This is what Paul's preaching. And according to Paul, it's the validity that the, that the redemption found in the death of Jesus Christ is real. If somebody dies, okay, all right, he died. Because he died, we're, we're saved, but well, you could say that any anybody or or say that about anybody, but Jesus, that guy, well, he, he rises from the dead. He rises from the dead. You remember back in Acts chapter one, verse 20, when Peter, he's reflecting on Judas's suicide and he quotes a Psalm. I think I have it. Yes, I do. He quotes a Psalm. He says, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And Peter reads the Old Testament, and this was a prophecy about Judas. And then it, again, I'll show you in Acts one sixteen. 16. This is what he said, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. And then Peter goes on to say uh, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And so in Peter's sermon, he's saying the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Scripture had to be fulfilled. This is the theme of All throughout the book of Acts, well, really the entire New Testament, the apostles, and listen, they saw the Old Testament as a book predicting the coming of Jesus Christ. I've heard some preachers today say, we don't need the Old Testament. We We don't need the Old Testament. (laughs) The whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is about Jesus, and it's a love story. It's his plan, how he came to this earth to redeem you and rescue you. We need the Old Testament. Look at how the early church viewed the Old Testament. They saw the whole thing as as predicting the coming of Jesus. Bible scholars estimate, listen to this, they estimate that there are approximately 322 direct prophecies that describe the character and nature of the coming Messiah. Some of them giving very specific details about his birth, his life, and his death. And did you know that over 30, 30 prophecies were fulfilled on the day Jesus died? Over 30 prophecies fulfilled on the day that Jesus died. The fulfillment of these prophecies, they helped convince the apostles that Jesus was definitely who he said he was. He was the promised Messiah of God. Now think about this, though. The odds, the odds of someone accidentally embodying even a fraction of these prophecies, staggering. Okay, I need you to think about this. So I read this, that when when the CIA... CIA arranges meetings with double agents. I thought this was cool. I was a big Mission Impossible fan. The CIA, when they arrange meetings with double agents, they provide several steps for the agent to complete to ensure they don't get the wrong person by mistake. And here's the example they gave. One particular Soviet double agent was given these instructions. Number one, go to Mexico City. Number two, send a message to the CIA operative that... Uh, there that I, whatever, Justin, whoever, has arrived. Number three, after three days, go to a particular place in that city. Number four, stand in front of the statue of Columbus. Number five, with your middle finger placed in a guidebook, when somebody approaches you, ask for directions and respond by saying that number six, statue is magnificent. And that, number seven, you are from Oklahoma. Now, at this point, couldn't they have picked Cincinnati? (laughs) At this point, at this point, the CIA operative would know that this was their agent. Seven signs are enough to identify a CIA double agent, if you know what you're looking for, of course. Jesus had not seven. He had 322 signs to identify him. Micah said that he'd be born in Bethlehem. Second Samuel says he would be of the tribe of Judah and the family of David. Malachi says he would be preceded by a prophet with Elijah's spirit. Zechariah says he would be portrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah says that he would be die hung on a tree, and that happened. Paul wanted these Jews to understand. They wanted them to look at the Old Testament, and he wanted them to recognize that Jesus Christ was a fulfillment of Scripture. And listen, your personal opinion doesn't change the truth of God. I know that offends people, but it doesn't. Your opinion, it doesn't change the truth of God. You think you're criticizing and critiquing and being a judge of the Bible, but it sits silent and just waiting because time is on its side. There are all kinds of eyewitnesses living here during the time of Paul. Paul made this statement. Go and ask them yourselves. Because because here's the thing. Jesus was doing all of this in public for everyone to see. Some of you are like, okay, well, if if I were to see him, I'd believe too. Okay, well, the truth is a lot of people saw him and they didn't believe. But what about you and me? What about us today? Who can we ask? Well, we've got the power of testimony. We have the power of people's testimony, right? I remember my father. I've talked about my father before. He was a pastor, but he wasn't always a pastor. I only remember him as a pastor because he went into ministry when I was quite young. But before that, he was an attorney for the state of Washington. Before that, he was a police officer, And when I was 12 years old, my dad resigned his church, became a a missionary with the Assemblies of God, and we moved from Seattle, Washington, to Spokane, Washington, to be around family. And I had a project in the eighth grade that I had to write about my hero. I chose my dad. I decided I would write about my dad as my hero. And the interesting thing was that I was right there with so many people who knew my dad, so I decided I was going to focus on his years as a police officer. And it turned out that some of the people he worked with were still on uh, the police force. And so I arranged these meetings with them and I interviewed them. And I remember being only 14 years old and it was horrible. <laughs> these people knew my dad before Jesus, before my dad knew Jesus. And so the things, the stories they would tell me, I'm just like, oh my word, that's not my dad. <laughs> Who are you talking about? And I remember they just tell all these stories, but I, I'll never forget one of them because he was lifting weights. He said, I'll meet you at the gym. And And I'll never forget this. He stopped and he looked at me and he said, yeah, he was a lot of fun to be around till he met Jesus, till he got religious. And at that point, he said, everything changed. He just was so different. Something happened. Yeah, something did happen. My dad's life radically changed. He went from being a terrible, lousy husband, someone who was angry and mad all the time, somebody who didn't care about anything but themselves, to experiencing the power of forgiveness. And all of a sudden, he believed Jesus was who he said he was. He experienced the power of resurrection, and his life changed, and he was set apart to go tell other people about what he had experienced. (laughs) All right. Look real quick. Verse, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption, but he whom God raised up, did not see corruption. And I'm gonna keep going because I, I don't wanna run out of time, but this is pretty amazing. Keep going with me. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And then he goes on. Again, I'm gonna... I'm going to jump ahead. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in, in the prophets should come about. Now, he's going, to, he's going to quote another passage from the Old Testament, Habakkuk 1.5. It says, look among the nations and see, well, I think I have it. There we go. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Remember, he is quoting scripture that this audience would have been very familiar with. And he is talking about how Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. And it's interesting that this passage in Habakkuk is about God using Gentiles to judge Israel, which was something that they would never have fathomed God would do how God was used a Gentile nation to judge the nation of Israel. Yet Paul here makes an application where God is going to save Gentiles and the nation of Israel is rejected because they rejected their Messiah. He's warning them. Paul ends his sermon with an invitation to believe, to be forgiven, be justified. And then he warns them, look, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if... Uh, even if one tells it to you. A couple of good elements as we close. A couple of good elements. The worship team can make their way back up. In either preaching or witnessing is, you want to know what it is? Here it is. Give an invitation. Give an invitation. The gospel has has been given in a way that anyone who hears it is kind of brought to a place where they're forced to make a decision. That's the nature of the gospel, right? Choose Jesus or don't. Choose Jesus or don't. There's no like plan C. Choose Jesus or don't. So give an invitation. Would you like to accept Jesus? Jesus died for your sins. He rose again from the dead. You can be forgiven by trusting Jesus Christ. Take Paul's sermon as a pattern for how you're gonna share the gospel. Give them an invitation. You even can say, would you like to pray now? Again, I'm not the best at this. I've told you my wife is an evangelist. She drives me crazy. I can't take her to Starbucks. I can't take her anywhere. Planes, I don't know why the Holy Spirit always uses her on an airplane. I can't go anywhere on an airplane when God speaks to my wife to go preach to the, to the stewardess. And my wife will obey. If the Holy Spirit's telling her to, she now gives me warning. She, she, she'll let me know, hey, I'm about to preach to this person just so you know, <laughs> And if you know my wife, she's really quiet. It's not like, if you go talk to her, you really have to push her to talk. But man, when she feels the Holy Spirit, she'll get up and just, and I'm so embarrassed because there've been times she gets up and she's like telling this stewardess, man, you know, there is hurt in your life and I want you to know God can heal it. And I'm like, Liz, just, all I want is a Pepsi and peanuts. Like, (laughs) now she's not even gonna give me Pepsi and peanuts, because she's busy talking to you, and the whole plane's not going to get Pepsi and peanuts, because this girl is crying in the middle of the aisle, and you're ministering to her. But, but she doesn't care. She'll do it. She gives an invitation. Can I pray for you right now? Do you know how many times I've seen my wife lead people to Jesus? Now, some of you are like, why? Well, I, I don't want to do that. What about if they say, yeah? <laughs> yes, I would. What? Yes, I would like you to pray for her. You freak out. You don't know what to do. Uh, Come to church this Sunday, and Pastor is going to give an invitation. <laughs> or let me call the pastor right now. Do you know I've had that happen? <laughs> pastor Justin, I got this person I just shared about Jesus. They want to accept. Can you talk to him? Well, how about you? Yeah, you're doing good. <laughs> I'll coach you. No, no, no. Right, right then, right there, wherever you're at in the middle of the mall, just stop middle of the mall, middle of the plane, middle, wherever. Stop. Say, okay, we can pray right now. You can invite Jesus to come into your heart. See, in our text today, Paul preached salvation comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. Jesus, who the Bible teaches, was both fully God, fully man, and he, and he alone was uniquely able to accomplish our salvation. As a man, he could be our substitute, living the life that we should have lived and dying the death we have been condemned to die. As God, he had the right to forgive our sins because he was God. He had the power to overcome death, the ability to restore you and me to fellowship to God the Father. Jesus Christ suffered the full fury of God's wrath in our place. On the cross, every ounce of punishment that was due unto us was unleashed upon him. For those who have trusted Jesus as their savior, there is no more punishment. God cannot hold us accountable for our sin because it would be unjust for God to demand two payments. The Bible teaches us that God accomplished salvation all by himself. And this also distinguishes, just so you know, it distinguishes what we believe in Jesus with every other religion in the world. Right? Because, I mean, you can classify all religions into two categories. In one type of religion, man earns salvation. If you obey enough, you'll be accepted. You see this approach in every religion in the world, whether through Islam's five pillars, Buddhism's eightfold path, or Hinduism's scheme of karma and reincarnation. But the gospel turns that around. The gospel teaches us that our acceptance is given to us as a gift. God has done the work. Ours is only to believe and receive. Our obedience to God is done in what? Great response to what he has done for us. Not to earn favors from him. Listen, other religions is spelled D-O. You wanna, know, you wanna know how the gospel's spelled out? D-O-N-E, done. Done by Jesus Christ. So I wanna conclude today. I know I've gone a little over. I wanna conclude today by asking you the most important question there is, do you know Jesus? And yes, I know. I'm preaching to religious people, I get it. I'm preaching to people that come to church every single Sunday. But again, I'm going to ask you, do you know Jesus? Not have you prayed a prayer or do you go to church or is your obedience to the 10 commandments better than most other people? But do you know the love of Jesus and have you received his free offer of salvation? You know, Jesus said that many people who call him Lord would be turned away from him on the last day. It even even goes on to say, Jesus is literally gonna say, "I, I never knew you. Go look it up you think I'm lying. Matthew chapter seven. When I read that passage to my boys a few years back, one of them asked me, does this mean Jesus has tryouts? You know, only the best make it. Is it based on what I do for Jesus? I said, no, no, son, that's not what it means. You see, the people in this story turned away on the last day are not people who who weren't ones out there doing a bunch of stuff for Jesus. In fact, they were. Jesus said they were pretty busy, actually, going to church, preaching sermons, making offerings, doing miracles, even casting out demons. Their problem is that they never knew a Jesus that was so gracious, he received sinners freely. And they didn't value that Jesus enough to forsake all the treasures of this world for him. And as a result, they never rested their souls in his grace or feasted their souls on his pleasures. Even then, on the last day, they think their religious activity will earn their right to heaven. They say, look, look at what we did. Look at what we did for you. And even in that in itself proves they never really knew who Jesus was. Jesus is not known by doing enough or giving enough. Jesus is known only by believing in his compassion towards you and resting in his promise of eternal life. And the good news, and I promise I'm closing, the good news is that knowing him is easy, at least for for us it is, at least for you it is, because Jesus did everything, everything necessary to reconcile you fully to him. And here's what you have to do. You simply believe what the gospel says about him is true. Here's what the gospel says. He is a God who stands ready to accept you. Completely because of what Jesus has done for you. He is a God whose mercy and love for you knows no bounds. It stretches out to you right now at this very moment. This very moment. And following Jesus as Lord means your life is going to be radically changed and radically transformed because all of a sudden you're not calling the shots anymore. God is. God's calling the shots. And actually it's not gonna be hard. It's actually gonna be something you enjoy. Why, because you're experiencing the presence of Jesus. And it's like nothing you've ever experienced. Have you you experienced that presence before? Do you know that presence? Have you heard his voice saying, you, 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 you are my child, I died for you, I have accepted you. And if not, you can open up your heart to him today. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads? And I wanna ask you a very serious question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If you have never placed your faith in Jesus's promise, if you have never truly said, man, I believe Jesus, you are who you say you are, I have sinned and I need forgiven. I want to give that opportunity for you today. If you are here, all you gotta do is slip your hand up and I'm not gonna embarrass you, I just wanna pray for you. So all you got to do is slip your hand up, we're gonna pray. If you're watching on TV, if you're joining TV, if you're joining us online, you can make this prayer. All you've got to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. So let's pray. If you're if you're making that prayer for the very first time, I'm gonna pray and you can just believe with me. Father, we come to you today. (laughs) So grateful for your gospel. So grateful that you give us an invitation to follow you. And by following you, we are forgiven of all sin. We experience freedom. And so I pray right now that if there's anybody in this sanctuary this morning who has not experienced that at this moment, they would, that they would experience freedom in the name of Jesus Christ, freedom from guilt of sin, freedom from addiction, freedom from strongholds. We pray right now in the power of Jesus name that freedom would reign in this sanctuary today and in our lives today. And I pray for us corporately as a church, God, that you have called us to stand up and proclaim your word, that we would never be afraid to preach the truth of your word, that we would fully recognize and understand that salvation has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with you and the role of the Holy Spirit in this, we just need to be obedient. Now I pray you would pour your blessing on New Heights Church like never before. God, we're thankful for the past. We're thankful for what you've done, but we are believing for good things going forward, great things. You are gonna take us to New Heights. We are gonna see a movement of God in Cincinnati, in Fairfield, in Ohio, and around the world. We are gonna, we are gonna see something bigger than us We need you to lead us and guide us. And I pray this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen.